Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Hello, Rank Squad. This is Rags FC, your favourite football podcast, coming back for you for the last time in 2021. So first off, let me say Happy New Year to everybody listening. We hope that 2022 is full of joy and happiness. My name is Jack Collins and I will be your host today. And joining me is the Rank God, Mr. Sam Tai. Hello, my friend. Last time in 2021. What a year it's been for us, eh? What's a year? Well, it's been a long year. It's been a, a tricky year in, in, in many ways, but we've had fun as well. So um, we hope you've had fun listening uh, and a welcome return to our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. Just in time, Dean. Just in time. Yeah, back full bill of health. And I've had a good year. I've had a really good year. Like it's just been our first proper full year of, of ranks. Um, you know, first year of unemployment, really. First year of my entire adult <laughs> life where I haven't actually had a proper job. Like where somebody's guaranteed to like put money in my bank every month. Um, is that the case for you too? Too is this the first time you haven't had like a job? Job? Yeah, but I mean to be fair, I've only I'm only out of uni. I mean, what? Like, Don't pretend you're 24 again, Jack. You're not 24. You are not <laughs> I've been 24. Out of uni, I've been out of uni six You've been years. Out of uni, it's not quite the same. Ten years, mate. We all know. I'm thirty. Yeah, I'm 35. Um, this is the the greatest scam in football history. Um, but yes, um, it is just in time. It's been a great year. We've had a great year of ranks. Yeah, it's, it's been, been good a, fun. So I'm going to say, a tough yeah. year for a lot of people, and, and it's been a tough year for football. And we've had um, a strange company through through most of it. Right, we were in, in unprecedented times. Was the phrase used so much that it actually became unprecedented to not be unprecedented <laughs> uh, at one point. But you know, we had games behind closed doors and then we had that finishing and we had a full Euros where half the stadiums were sort of full and then some stadiums were allowed to be full and then some stadiums had no one in them at all and and then we started this season we had grounds back people back in and then we've had a wave of cancellations it's been a bit mad it's been up and down but we've been chatting away through it all and that's enjoyable yeah that's true actually yeah we um it's a bit weird, isn't it? I mean, it's kind of like therapy coming on here. And maybe, it, maybe it's the case if you listen to it as well. It's just like a, a sense of normality when nothing else has been normal for the past couple of years. Like, we're still always here. We always chat to each other. And thanks to everyone for still tuning in to us, I guess. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. We're going to be talking January storylines today, Dean. But before we do that, let's do a couple of things we love, shall we, Sam? Yeah, so on Monday night, uh, Newcastle hosted Manchester United in the Premier League and at the end of an incredibly absorbing 90s style 100 minutes or so, Joel Linton was named man of the match and he deserved it. And he did it by playing as a box-to-box number eight. Box-to-box central midfielder in a midfield three. Now, he has done this a few times recently. This is not the first time that he's been dropped into that role. It's one of the very few tweaks that Eddie Howe has actually managed to enact in his short tenure at the club so far. But this was a landmark performance because it was in front of the watching world. It was at prime time and it was against a club of the caliber of Manchester United. And honestly, it's like we've stepped into the multiverse. You know, we've landed in this alternate reality, uh, probably the one where Toby Maguire is Spider-Man. Uh, and we found another version of Joel Linton that, you know, this one 
was not brought for an exorbitant fee of 40 million plus. He was not forced to play in an uncomfortable back to goal role by Steve Bruce. Uh, he was signed under reasonable expectation. He was allowed to grow and find his groove. He was allowed to play with a smile on his face. And guys, he was so good against Manchester United. He was so, so good. He was fully deserving of that man of the match mantle. I mean, he ran the game from midfield for a start and Newcastle's performance was full of energy and verve. And I think he was the source of that. He just did not stop going. He showed great vision and weight of pass and ability to slow down when he had to and create chances. He broke up play, chasing back into his own box and into the corner flag. I think he probably covered every blade of grass at St. James's Park that night. And he looked like he was feeling himself. You know, and it's been a long time since I've seen Joel Linton play a game of football where he looks like he's playing to a level that he'd be proud of. There wasn't a bit of anguish on his face. And as a long term Joel Linton believer, and uh, I have been, you know, we, Jack, you and I have both been adamant for a few years now. There's a player in there somewhere. If someone could just uh, stop misusing him. Um, yes. I love this. I absolutely love this. However, I will not claim to say... I didn't think say, this was what the player was. I didn't no, think it was a box-to-box eight, I'll be honest. I'm not, I'm not claiming that one. I'm not claiming that one. But there's a very good player in there. To be honest with you, there was there were shades of old-school Moussa Dembele to his the way he strode through midfield last night. Uh, yeah. Very similar physiques. And the way he played was just incredible. And I loved it. I just loved it. It was a, it was a Christmas miracle. Martin Yol was the man who changed Moussa Dembele from a kind of second for, a second striker into a centre midfielder, Dean. We watched that transformation happen in real life. Now, yeah. I'm not suggesting we're going to see Joel Linton turn into Moussa Dembele Mark II. Mm. Um, but, I mean, there, there there is precedent for a player who, you know, kind of was a second striker, potentially used a bit out wide, everyone kind of thought was misused a bit turning into a very very good central midfielder yeah that was pretty mad I remember when he first did it and I was like what are you doing here like Martin Yell did a lot of stupid and weird bad things when he was in Fulham manager and he was one of my least <laughs> favorite managers I've had at Fulham but that was did he stumble across it was it a, a master stroke I don't know but Honestly, um, I guess Dembele, like he was, I remember when he joined Fulham and I interviewed him and he was told me he was going to be like Patrick Cliver. Never. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't happen. That did not happen. Um, but he was brilliant. And in the end of his career, you could say he was, um, he was almost as good as Cliver, just a completely different type of footballer. <laughs> yeah, he was very, very different. But Dem- yeah, but moving away from the Dembele thing, just good to see Joel Linton play, play well, play with a smile on his face, play in a role that seems to suit him. Um, that pressure has clearly been weighing on his shoulders for the last couple of years. No one's really tried to help him out. One of his teammates actually at the end of the game came out and said that the abuse that he gets is disgusting. Um, but there was no one abusing him on Monday night. Everybody, my whole timeline was just aflame with, with Joel Linton PR. Which is just, uh, well, again, more evidence that we slipped into the multiverse. Yeah, exactly. It just keeps running. 2021, the gift in some ways that kept giving in, in, <laughs> in bizarre, bizarre fashion. Uh, very good. Um, I want to just quickly touch on La Liga as my thing I love. Because rolling into 2022, Rio Vallecano are fourth in Woo. La Liga. They got promoted last season via the playoffs. So... Whatever you think about this, you know, just in terms of on the flat line, the surface level, this is a remarkable story that the Raya Vallecano are in this position. They have the best home record in Europe. They've won of nine games played at home, eight wins and a draw. Um, they are they play at Vallecas, which is a kind of old school, slightly falling apart stadium in a suburb of Madrid. And 
Rio, I mean, look, we picked them out and we spoke about a couple of players um, of, of Ravakano, Oscar Trejo in, in particular, in that when we were picking the, the best players in Europe so far a couple of weeks back, Sam, and it was one that I thought needed a little bit more love. And um, I just think the Rio in general need to be given some credit here. They have a president in Raul Martin Presa, who everybody at the club hates. Um, they constantly ask him to leave, you know, to his face quite vividly and, and remarkably. The fans just continually shout, leave the club um, at their owner. Falcao is playing up front, coming back and, uh, and be leading a charge. They have Izzy Palathon, who's one of my favourite players to watch, um, on, on the right-hand side, just kind of playing off that, off that wing. They play a very direct 4-4-2 in, in some ways with Trey and Falcao, Palathon on the, on the right-hand side and kind of double left-backs um, on, on the left flying up that wing. And they've just been so much fun to watch um, across the course of this, especially at home. Just think it's one to mark because I would suggest that this is a league position that they are not going to hang on to, um, you know, in the second half of the season. So I think it's just worth marking that at this point they are in a Champions League spot. I think that, you know, they were relegation candidates, prime relegation candidates for some people at the start of the season. Everyone thought there was not a you know snowball's chance in hell that they were going to, to stay up even. And look at where they are now. And, and given the state of kind of everything else around the club feeling like it's falling apart, the stuff on the pitch and in that absolutely glorious white shirt with the arrow thunderbolt through it, mm. they have been an absolute joy to behold. So if you want to look a bit more uh, at Ryo Vallecano, our friends over at Scouted have released a brilliant podcast uh, directly all about them over the last couple of days. And there's some excellent articles on The Guardian uh, written by Sid Lowe about what it's been a, a remarkable journey and why it's been so fun to watch them across the course of this season. But I just wanted to, to point it out um, and say some, give some shouts out to Ryo because it's been a lot of fun. You mentioned their stadium, Jack. Is it? Uh, it's one of those that if you have, if you're lucky enough to own a flat in the right place, you can watch the games for free. Yes, <laughs> it's, like, it's got tower blocks is. hanging over the top of the stadium because the the tiers are very low. It's not a very big stadium. And Quite late in Orient vibes. Mm, cool. Yeah, so uh, it's good. It's good. It's got a certain, it's got a certain shine to it. That kind of stadium for me, uh, I love it. Absolutely do. I mean, to be fair, you could technically watch half a game at Upton Park before uh before it was knocked down uh if you got the right flat so mm. yeah it's not it's not even restricted to just twelve thousand seat stadiums it can be a bit bigger but they they have a special place in my heart those ones absolutely absolutely dj over to you well i love transfers mate that's why we're doing a transfer show um i loved christmas <laughs> but i don't think you want to hear about my christmas so um with you two covering all that i think we should just crack on Okay, all right, after the break, we are going to be focusing on Dean's big thing he loves, and that is the transfer window. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Rags FC, where it's time, Dean, to get into the meat of the January transfer window. It's time for you to start earning that podcast fee, mate. Start earning the fee. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, it's going to be a weird one, to be honest. Um, we all, all know already that, no significant sums aren't usually spent in January anyway. Um, and with this latest um, bout of COVID that's, that's gone through football as well as the rest of the world, um, it's it's made clubs a little bit nervous to what they might have gone through with that they've been considering. Because as we've all seen, especially in the Premier League, um, there's been some decimated squads in the last two or three weeks. Yeah, and, Crystal Palace really struggling. Yeah, apart from Palace, uh, who tried to call, call call games off anyway, just because the coaching staff have got it. Um, but anyway, it's it's making you wonder, like with fringe players, do you 
do you uh, cash in on them or do you just think, well, we'll see out the season with them? Things like that. So there's, a, there's even more than ever having to be considered about what happens in this window. But I've basically picked five themes that are going to be spoken about. Um, so we'll get a head start and just um, address each one. And I'm, I'm going to start with kind of um, there's three elite names here that are going to be spoken about every single day and probably won't end up moving at all. But let's just quickly cover them anyway. So it's Vlavic, Haaland and Mbappe. Um, they're in the transfer gossip columns almost every day. At least one of them's in there. Um, just to to mark everyone's card and where we're at with this. Um, Mbappe to Real Madrid, still on the cards for the summer if they can find an agreement to it, Real Madrid. Um, well, part of the, the thing that they really need to happen here is, from what I'm told, is they want to win the Champions League <laughs> to really boost their uh, their profile on coffers, let's say, um, and help get this over the line. And they also need to beat PSG to uh, to make that happen. So that's um, that's quite significant. So let's keep an eye on what happens with that. He won't be leaving PSG in January. Erling Haaland intends to make his decision closer to March, April rather than in January, which he can obviously do now. Um, we were always expecting, um, leading in towards this time, that Holland would start to narrow down his clubs. And of course, he is doing that in his own head and deciding what he wants to do. But we're not going to be hearing in January a definitive decision from Erling Haaland on, on where he ends up. Um, and that leaves us with Vlahovic, who it was the most likely out of these three to leave in Jan. But it's still quite unlikely. The reason it is likely is because Fiorentina would cash in on him right now because they value him at close to 100 million euros. And there are probably three or four clubs out there who could really do with a 100 million euro striker who is in banging form right now. Um, Whether anyone's going to spend that money, highly, highly unlikely, Uh, especially knowing that at the end of the season, they'll probably get him for about 60 million. Bear in mind too that Vlahovic is in such good form that he could easily end up top goal scorer in Italy this season. He's quite driven to do that. He's quite driven to make sure that this is a, a brilliant, complete campaign. He's obviously had an unbelievable 2021 anyway, uh, but he wants to continue this throughout the season and, and make sure he doesn't have any drop in form. And so that he does kind of get into that tier and be spoken about alongside the likes of Holland and Mbappe. Arsenal, been looking at Vlahovic, can't afford him. Man City, been linked with him. Um, Juventus very heavily linked with him. I don't expect him to move in January, as I say, but it's a small possibility. Okay, just covers those three off really in, in one fell swoop because otherwise people would be wondering why I didn't talk about any of them. The big gun strikers, <laughs> yeah, is, basically, is what we're just kind of terming that. I mean, look, there's it does feel a bit mad that whilst Vlavic, you know, could go obviously in January, as you say, and and there are teams that could do with him. I don't know if anyone's going to look at that and go, do we drop 90 million euros or so, which is kind of the reported fee being chucked around by Fiorentina when you could pick him up in the summer. Um, now, whether he signs a new deal or not is, I suppose, a different question and, and probably takes the, the edge off that. But I'd be I'd be surprised, much as it hurts me. I'd be surprised if Vlavic signs a new deal. Yeah, uh, I'd be very surprised. Point. I mean, it's a weird old relationship he's got there with the fans, isn't it? I mean, they they are supporting him when he's playing. Uh, but they've got, I saw they've got this kind of rule with him where he's not allowed to come over and clap them at the end of the games. And there was one game recently I watched and the rest of the team went over to the support 
and uh, were thanking them and they were cheering the team on. But Vlavic had to stand over the other side of the pitch and wait for the rest of the team to come off because they don't want him going over to them because I, I guess they feel a little bit... I don't know if it's portrayed is the right word, but they... I, I think it's the it's the Juventus links, isn't it? Yeah. it it's it's that. If, if I think if Vlavic goes anywhere else... Everyone will just be a bit like, all right, yeah. fine. Like, it'd be like, yes, it was great to have a, an elite striker at the club for a little while. But ultimately, you know, you understand that there is a chain and there is, you know, a striker scoring at this kind of level is always going to want to test themselves on the most elite stages. And that's kind of fine. Yeah. Um, but I think Fiorentina have just been burned too many times by their best players <laughs> leaving for, for Juventus. We saw it, obviously, when there were riots in the 90s and... Uh, when Baggio left and then with Chiesa and Bernadeschi, it just feels like a, a path that's becoming a little bit dangerously too travelled. Yeah. So um, so that's, I think, part of the the standoff there between the fans and, uh, and Vlavic. Yeah, fair. All right then, DJ, what's in at number four? Okay, so you mentioned Juventus already and Juve is a club that are really in transition at the moment and... Allegri, I think, been a little bit stumped with what he's inherited there. I mean, he knew that things weren't in a good place when he came back. I don't think he realised quite how bad and how big the job was. And, and his big headache at the moment is his midfield. So going into this January window, we're looking at, um, well, doubts over the future of four players. Aaron Ramsey, Artur, Weston McKenney, and Adrian Rabiot. Um, four players who, for all different reasons, really um, have their have their future up in the air. And now the the two that most likely to leave are Ramsey and Artur. Um, but then you've got McKenney, who is really really wanted by Tottenham at this point. And then you've got Rabio, who has just paid an extortionate amount of money and just didn't work. Um, hasn't been playing particularly well, so. Two of those four are going to go now. And I think, to be honest, over the course of the next year, it's not unreasonable to think all four might go and they might bring in completely different options as, as we move forward because this isn't working. I think, um, I don't know, who would you say has done the best out of those four? Uh, um, McKenney? McKenney, probably. McKenney. Ramsey's had the highest highs. Yeah. Because he's had spells like a month or so where he's been really good and scored goals. Artura's basically not played. Rabio has been playing in the wrong position. And it's weird. McKenny's done all right. McKenny's done okay. It's very yeah. strange. Um, Aaron Ramsey, they are desperate to offload him. Um, he's on a high salary. He he just hasn't been able to consistently get on the pitch, to be honest, let alone produce consistent form. 97 uh, minutes this season in the league. Aaron he's Ramsey. just always injured. And I mean, the Italian press have, have turned on him because of his latest injury. Like no one ever seems to even know what's wrong with him. I think the latest thing was just talked about as a flexor issue. Um, you know, Ramsey, I remember at the last summer checking on his situation, being like, surely he's not going to stay there. Like this just isn't working. And he was so, so driven to not be considered a flop that he was like, no, I need to keep going. Like I can do this. I can do this. As you say, just played nowhere near the amount of football that would be possible for to overcome that. But on the on the flip side of that, who's gonna who's gonna buy him? Like, there's nothing there to give you any hope that he's actually going to be get a run on the pitch. So I'll talk about a bit more later on about one of the teams that that's looking seriously at signing him. But that's a problem for them. 
Artur was signed for a ridiculous amount of money, really, wasn't he, from Barcelona? And that's that's a deal that's been under investigation, I think, because of the, mm-hmm. the financial fair play implications. What was he like? I don't know, 70-odd million or something? Yeah, like, they, swapped, they swapped him, him for Pjanic. Pjanic but, but they both for... also had huge fees attached to them. And Yeah. It seemed a bit like pumping up book value. It did, yeah. Look, Artur is a great footballer, there's no doubt about that, but for whatever reason, like this is not working out for him either. So anyway, yeah, Juventus is going to be a place to look out for, obviously at the same time as well, they're trying to sort out Dybala's contract, they're trying to transition this side and get back on track from where they were. Um, Since Ronaldo left, things haven't got better um, and they need to get back to a place where they are considered to be... First of all, the best team in Italy, and then back to getting on track to trying to become the best team in Europe, which is where they thought they would be heading by now. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it, it does feel like a, you know, it was a big moment for Juve a couple of years back, obviously bringing Cristiano Ronaldo in, the change of logo. It felt like a, you know they were moving on in that kind of, mm. we want to be recognised as a super club kind of vibe. And you know, three years down the line, they've lost not only that dominance, you know, domestically, but they're further away than they ever have been mm. in, in some regards of, of where they actually want to be. Absolutely that. Um, I remember being at BR and writing about exactly about that. And this, they had this five-year plan to become not only um, the elite team in Europe on the pitch, but off it too. And it was all to do with, you know, the profile of the players they were signing um, you know, Delict, for example, like that was sign that was a signing not aimed just at, of course, signing one of the best defenders, young defenders in European football, but also the kind of profile he had. You were thinking, okay, well, this is a cool, this is a cool way to be heading as well. And then you can get the whole Western McKenney angle as well, coming in from America, like bringing something new to the team. And they were looking at all those different angles, and um, it just hasn't all come together anywhere close to how they imagined. Obviously, COVID threw a massive spanner in the works there as well. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. I mean, look, we're, what are we looking at for, for, from Juventus here? It kind of a, a, a general scheme of, do they need to refresh everywhere? I mean, look, they can't score goals. They've struggled. I mean, that said, there is probably worth pointing out that Juve have won four of their last five and drawn the other and, and have, if not hit form in terms of performances, they have started to grind out results, which yeah. is kind of what we thought they would do under Allegri, yeah. uh, you know, from, from the kind of off. But it, it does feel like they're still, you know, a way off you know, across the board. And we're talking about, you know, we spoke at the start of the season about the fact that this, you know, this defensive partnership and how how this was the, the side that basically won the Euros. And and suddenly it has regressed in that regard. You know, Matthias Delict is obviously there and, and, and feeling like that future option, but you need to build around him. There's midfield mess. And then there's also this issue of not being able to put the ball in the back of the net. It feels like Juve need a complete rebuild. You're talking about building around Delict there as well, but I'm pretty sure I've seen Raiola in the press last couple of weeks talking about where you might be able to move him next. Yeah, I mean, well, the thing you've got to consider too is is Juve obviously will look to bring in money at some point um, and Delict is probably one of those that is going to uh, warrant the biggest fee. So that's where that comes from. Um, and Raiola has always also got um, that th- that thing in the back of his mind where he's like, well, I need to make sure that Juve have got the ambition that they said they had when we signed here. So by by putting pressure on in that sense and saying that uh, De Ligt has interest from elsewhere, you're then putting pressure on Juve to make sure that they continue to make big signings and don't stand still. Mm-hmm. When Ry- when one Raiola client moves, all the Raiola <laughs> clients move. Basically. Um, right, on to number three. Real Madrid. 
this is it's a bit weird what's happened at Real Madrid and um you know the whole Galactico policy of of the past and how they've attempted I guess to bring it back at times and and make big big signings and even when they have worked out like Bale like if you look at his his career stats at Madrid like unbelievable really but like still not considered a success by um many people attached to the club because um of his attitude and towards the club and also um you know ongoing injury problems which have limited his time on the pitch but basically Real Madrid are prioritizing um finding new clubs for for both Bale and Isco Isco hey, and Bale both out of contract in the summer so this might be it. This might be the time when Isco finally leaves Real Madrid. I mean, I've knocked it back every transfer window up to now. But he either sees out his contract and leaves in the summer or he leaves now. Surely he's not getting another contract, like especially under <laughs> Ancelotti, because Ancelotti's not not finding a role for him. Um, He'll be 30 in the summer. He'll be 30 in the summer. Uh, yeah, Poor old Isco. I just really, really want him to find a home that he can flourish in. Like, go and be a star somewhere. Like, find a club. I think this is a really good time, I think, for Isco to move because um, leagues across Europe are generally pretty open right now. There are opportunities for teams which are usually considered to be, like, middle tier but have passionate fan bases to actually really make moves in the tables or in cup competitions. And I think that Isco should really embrace that and find a place that is really going to suit him and actually try and achieve something with him as the star. Are, like, you, are you just, just trying to project? speak Isco to Fulham into existence? No, I don't, I don't think I could go that far. I'm not saying Isco <laughs> is going to get us into the Premier I don't think I can push him to that. But, there, you know, there are teams, you know, Jack's already talking at the start of the show about a team that's in fourth and you know, been promoted and unexpectedly doing well. And there are a lot of examples like that um, right now across Italy, Spain, you know, even England, give him back to Give him back to Mourinho. I mean, no. I don't know. I don't know about that. But no. Also, Zanio, Zaniolo and Isco behind Tammy. God, I'd love <laughs> to see it. I would love to see it. Also, we have to consider at Real Madrid that Luka Jovic, What's happening there? He has had a bit of game time recently. Um, still not convinced um, that that's going to be the case going forward. Um, they are open to offers for him if anyone's willing to make something reasonable. And Eden Hazard. Eden Hazard they would sell tomorrow. It's just if anyone thinks that they can get Eden Hazard back to what he was. Now, I would imagine that's going to be in England if it's to happen. You would imagine... I don't know, like if Hazard surely isn't going to go to something like Newcastle, but who's got the money to entice Hazard into a new challenge and, and trust him to make to make the kind of impact they do? Like I, I watched, I can't remember who it was against the other day, but I, I was watching a Real Madrid game and he's just nothing like the player that he was when he left Chelsea. The, the aggressive nature with which he was able to run directly towards the box and also like swivel at the same time just isn't there. It's just, I felt a bit sorry for him. And he's he's clearly a bit slower. Um, clearly nowhere near the confidence that he had. I don't see how they can get rid of somebody like that right now. Um, unless it's a loan and they're willing to cover wages. I don't see the point of them doing that really because you might as well keep him in the squad. So, um, Talk about wages there, Dean. I've just done a rough calculation here. Isco, Bale, Jovic, Hazard, all on the, the kind of list of which players Real Madrid probably want to sell. I'd be very surprised if that's less than... 
a million a week in wages, 1.2 million a week. Yeah. We're talking about, we're talking about Hazard and Bale there accounting for probably close to a million. Yeah. Just, just between the two of them. And then you add in Isco and, and uh, it's like, this is a lot of money. This This is is a lot of money. And and you've got to consider too, at the same time that this is with an eye on bringing in players as well. I mean, in January, there's a small chance they'll sign a midfielder. I know that's, where Ancelotti's told the board he would like to strengthen if he could right now, um, improve their team for for this season. But then for next summer, obviously, there's the whole idea of, of getting Mbappe, possibly even Haaland if they can. I mean, I don't know how you get all those those forward players into the same team, God knows. But um, they're obviously looking at it. Um, there's the whole conversation still there around Pogba. And in order to get those players, they obviously have to move money off the wage bill. Um, and that's all with this in mind. How much would Real Madrid be willing to pay of this wage bill? Because, I mean, it's, you know, we've spoke before about Eden Hazard and the idea that he's quite a sentimental character, right? And he likes, he would like to go back to somewhere where he's felt comfortable before. And Lille have just got rid of Jonathan Akone. Um, <laughs> he's going to Fiorentina. Yeah, I mean... If we'll, oh if Lille God. could pay 10% of Hazard's wages, would Madrid just take the hit on that and be like... No, well, it's not worth it, is it? Because the point? that's not gaining anything. Like, it's got to be at least 50% for them to, to, to yeah. move on in, move on with anything. Um, so that, that's not going to happen. And it's... Well, but I suppose what they the kind of flip of that is if he plays his way back into form in six months, could you sell him in the summer for a, an actual fee... And someone being able to take that kind of take the the risk on him. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's that. But I think that, as I said before, like because of teams worrying about you know strength in depth at the moment as well and stuff, and and, and Madrid have had that as much as anybody. You know, we've seen how uh, flaky some of their forward players can be in terms of consistently staying fit. Um, they're quite a fragile bunch. Um, they're going to need Hazard at some point, so it's a you know it's going to have to be a, a a decent whack in order for them to be tempted to do that. I think Vinicius um, has now started like 21 games in a row or something. Yeah, so he's due an injury. <laughs> <laughs> he's due a, he's due a, re- he's due a I, rest. I absolutely hope not. I but, hope not so. But, you know, if, if if you've got a player starting 21 games in a row, um, then it's possible that he might need a game out at some point. So, yeah, maybe that's where Bale or Risco or Hazard comes in. I mean, they definitely don't need all three of them. Um, but I'd say that Hazard may be the most valuable to them still. Even now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Indeed, indeed. Right, let's get on to number two, should we do? Yeah, um, I'm just going to talk about Newcastle um, because it's basically a a time when they figure out if they can save their season um, and what happens. I mean, this is is crucial. Obviously, we're recording this on the back of them putting in the best performance I've seen. Um, Hell of a shift. But they still drew um, in a game they should have won. And... I think there, are, there that is a worrying aspect of that. You know, it was an unbelievable atmosphere at St James's Park when they drew with Man United on, on Monday. Um, the opportunities were there to be two at least ahead, possibly even three. Um, and even when the draw was, you know, it, lo- it was looking like a draw, they obviously had opportunity right at the end to win it, and they didn't quite manage to do so. And that's the problem, you know. You, you you can't afford to let those moments pass you by. And even though on paper it looks like a decent draw, it's not really because Man United were awful for long spells of that game. Um, so Newcastle now that their their job is to bring in some some top quality, and and that's what their job is. And it's complicated because there are so many people involved in the process of recommending players and then taking it on to the next step. And and they've kind of all got 
different agents they tend to work with. And at the moment, whittling down the list of targets is difficult. And until this window's gone by and we see who they've actually signed, I can't be exactly sure which sources are the most reliable because there are so many new people on the scene here and we're trying to kind of get a grasp of what they're looking at. What I do know, I talked about Aaron Ramsey earlier on, Newcastle are pretty much the only club that have put him forward a significant and serious uh, proposition. Um, they would they would be happy to sign him on a permanent deal. The same with Kieran Trippier. Uh, they would like both of those players. They, I think we're looking at around 150 grand a week uh, for both. Uh, not 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 in a joint package. 150 to each player. Um, which kind of sets the ball out, sets their stall out as to where they're aiming. That's obviously a reasonable amount of money for Newcastle to be spending on, on wages. But what we have to consider too is like, this is a team that is in serious danger of relegation. And because of that, in these player contracts, they have to have clauses involved, which are either deductions in wages if they're relegated or just simple relegation clauses that means the player leaves for a reduced fee. Um, I know for I know Trippier definitely is uh, negotiating around that right now, and I'm sure Aaron Ramsey would too because he's not going to be playing in the championship. Um, I think that there's more chance that think back when all the takeover stuff started and we were hearing of Newcastle links with players in the Premier League whether it was Deli Alley or Jesse Lingard or whoever else. Um, there, there was a whole bunch, Tarkovsky. They haven't a real problem tempting any Premier League club to help them out because why would you? Why would any Premier League club right now give Newcastle a good player? Because they, you know, if you're in the Premier League and you know that this club's got serious wealth behind them, you don't want them in the league. You want them to go down for a bit. On top of that, as well, as I mentioned, again, the COVID thing, like Jesse Lingard probably now not leaving Man United. Deli Alley possibly will leave Tottenham, but it's not certain by any stretch of the imagination. Burnley have got absolutely no interest in Tarkovsky going to help Newcastle out. So because of all that, Newcastle now looking at the foreign market a lot closer. They look to bring in four players in this transfer window. A centre-back, right-back, midfielder, and probably a forward, because why not? Um, well, they need a forward because Callum Wilson looks like he might have torn his calf. And Joel Linton is now a centre midfielder, yeah. Which means that he could be out for, well, pretty much the, the whole season. That's not good news, no, yeah. I saw in the game, was that, did you notice in the game he was talking to the bench, wasn't he, at one point? Is that what that was? Um, he went off injured, didn't he, in the first half? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I didn't really realise what he was pointing at at the time. Um but it was obviously um, he was limping at the time when he went off, and he came uh, back on, limped around a bit, and it went yeah. down and was like it was like squidging his calf. Yeah, and uh, he might have torn his own calf by yeah, doing I was that. Say like a torn calf, I would imagine you were not coming back on. You're like, okay, that's not right. Um, so that's definitely not good news, and that definitely means they'll be in in the market for a forward. But but maybe Jovic or somebody like that will will come into the reckoning for Newcastle. Like, who knows? It depends, which, as I say, which agents manage to get through the door because there are a lot knocking on there trying to push push talent in there knowing that they can get big money. But it's a big ask. It's a big ask. And you've got to be careful as well if you're Newcastle because, you know, what type of player do you sign right now to make sure you are not relegated? Because they are in big trouble. 
Um, and difficult it, one for Eddie Howe this as well. Like if he does get his wish, let's say his wish is four players, it's going to be just like an amalgamation of four totally random players. Yeah, and he's going to have to try and plug them in into a system that already he's still trying to get up and running. And the expectation will be there. Like if those players, if he gets Aaron Ramsey, Kieran Trippier, and a forward, um, they'll be like, well, you guys should stay up. It's, it's not easy to just change half of your team no. like that. It's going to be a bit of a poison chalice, probably. He's damned if he does, damned if he doesn't, because he either doesn't get the players and probably goes down, or he does, and there'll be immense pressure and expectation to be like, oh, you'll be fine now. Yeah. And it won't be easy. No, exactly that. Um, yeah, I think he's got a really tough job on his hands. I really do. Um, and, you know, then then you, you're left with the... The question, if they did go down, are they brave enough to stick with Howe to get them back? Do they then change manager? Does the whole it, it becomes extremely complicated. Well, also, they have to deal with the kind of effect of FFP, right? And I mean, obviously, if they come straight back up, you can kind of... Yeah, that won't matter too that, much. But, but, you know, that's where the implications come in for the... They have to drop wages of, of, of new, any new signings that they're making and things like that. Um, it's a really, really important second half of the season for Newcastle. Um, you know, I know there'll be there'll be two sides to this. Some people would love to see an, a new team challenging the elite of the Premier League, and there'll be others thinking, "No, I absolutely do not want you buying success. I hope you go down." So, uh, whichever side you're on, good luck. It's going to be one. I'd imagine it's going to be one of the big talking points um, around all of this, and I think especially up front, one would be keeping an eye on. Yeah, that'll be fun to see who they get up front. And yeah, I mean that's undeniable that Newcastle are going to be the most looking to be the most active team in the Premier League in the market. Yeah, yeah, maybe in the world, maybe in the world. Mm -hmm. Then who's in at one number one? Then number one is an interesting one. Um, It's what Chelsea do now. Chelsea have, have. got themselves caught up in a very strange dilemma that you very rarely see at this level and certainly very rarely see with Chelsea and the way that they do business. So um, their contract situations in defence has gone way beyond where they would have expected this to be. And they've got a lot of players out of contract at the end of the season. So it's Thiago Silva, Andreas Christensen, Antonio Rudiger, Thiago Silva, um, and Cesar Azpilicueta as well, all out of contract. So it's all the defenders? Basically, their entire defence is, is coming out, team. out of contract. Um, it's strange. And they, they you know, obviously they, they knew that the situation was coming. They are still confident over a couple of them. They they thought that Christensen would be tied up by now and he moved the goalpost basically during negotiations. Antonio Rudiger is 95% certain to leave Chelsea now. Um, they have not, shown willing to give him the type of money that he feels he is now worth. He has pretty much every big Champions League club now knocking on his door and offering him big money because he's going to be available as a free agent. It's looking like he'll choose Real Madrid as it stands right now, but that might yet change. Uh, Madrid have put forward a decent proposal and obviously are the, the... the type of club that he'll be looking to make a step to. I know PSG have put in a good offer to actually Tottenham put in have, have put in a very good offer to him. Um, I'm not sure that that's the profile of club he wants to join, but in terms of, of money, like what they what they've suggested is very good and certainly better than what Chelsea are. So um, all these different things have, have led them into a situation where they have to start looking at signing a defender and go back to last summer when they were so close to signing Jules Koundé to the extent they 
basically agreed terms with the player and just couldn't find um, a way in for Sevilla to agree on a fee. They're going to revisit that. They've, they've never really left the table on Kunde and they, they want to sign him. Um, so Kunde remains a top target for Chelsea. And in midfield, they're also looking to sign somebody because that area of the field is transitioning too. Um, Saul has, has not really worked out um, as a short-term option. And obviously they were looking at that as a potential stopgap, but something that could have been more permanent. And that's obviously going to be unlikely now considering how things have gone so far. But Jorginho, Kante, Kovacic, at least one of those players is leaving in the summer. Um, I've got a feeling Kante might leave Chelsea in the summer. We'll, we'll visit that another time, but um, it'd be interesting if that does happen. But with all this in mind, Chelsea looking to sign a new midfielder. And it might not be that Kunde arrives right now, and it might not be that this guy arrives now either, but but Chiumene at Monaco is a guy that they are pursuing really heavily right now and quite aggressively. They, they want to get him through the door and they, they would like to find a way to strike a deal as soon as possible. And, and it could be that these, these are two deals are, are ones that are agreed now for the end of the season so that Chelsea know that they are in a good place. And, and it kind of would help fix a lot of the issues that are lingering on people's minds right now. If you know that there are doubts over, you know, whichever one of those midfielders it is, if it is that Rudiger leaves and one of the others leaves, then it helps you transition. I don't think Thiago Silva will leave. I think they're going to strike a deal there. So I think he'll be fine. I think that that's really important because his leadership experience and obviously his ability, he's been he's been really good since he's been there. But apart from Thiago, Rudiger is the best defender in that league, in that team, possibly the, the best player in that team a lot of the time. Um, so finding a way to build there is important. Um, so I, I just think that Chelsea's going to be be really intriguing to see how they adapt to this situation and, and at the same time, see which of these contracts they manage to actually announce. Who's going to get new contracts this month? Because it's really important that a couple of them do. It's a nice reminder here, actually, that uh, Dean, you always tell us this every, every year and we always forget because we get so excited. But January isn't just about signing players for now. It's it's actually the window in which you, you get to put down really important groundwork with regard to major summer signings. So in Chelsea's case here, if it's if it's Kunde and Chuamani, that that is going to cost you a combined one hundred and fifty million pounds. Like that's 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 at least Kunde is gonna be seventy, eighty, Chuamani is gonna be the rest. And it's going to be expensive stuff. And that doesn't just happen with the click of the fingers. You have to put a lot of work into that, months and months of work into that. And January is where that tends to start, I guess, and where that forward planning starts to come in. So at Chelsea, it's about, well, it's all about six months time, but it's all about dealing with that now, I guess, and working six months in ahead. Is there any movement at, at left back, Dean? Because we've you know seen Chilwell out for a sustained period. The, the, this Luca Dean story doesn't seem to be going away. Yeah, Luca Dean is interesting because I, I do think that he will be uh, one of the bigger names that that transfers in this January window. Uh, he's definitely um, Newcastle being touted around. <laughs> Maybe. Um, he's definitely being touted around as available. So um, that's an option. Luca Dean would, would be a nice fit for that team. Into Milan reportedly joining the race on that one as well. So we'll see. We'll mm. see. Maybe maybe that's a more attractive nice. prospect for him. And remember, um, there's already been a transfer, more or less. Uh, Everton have actually signed a player. 
Well, they're yes. about to sign Vit- Vitaly Mikolenko, uh, who is a left back, uh, well, left back centre back hybrid. Um, yeah. But that would that would that would appear to pretty much leave the door permanently open for Luca Dean to leave. I'm not so sure that Rafa Benitez is particularly interested in him. I keep watching Ben Godfrey steam up the left, so he can't be interested in Luca Dean. And with <laughs> with uh, with Mikolenko in, that would that would probably clear the way. Luca Dean might be the easiest transfer to complete in January for anyone if they want them. He actually might be, yeah, certainly. Very good, Dean. Well done. Very good ranking. Enjoyed that very much. And a lot of stories there to keep an eye on over this window. I think we named about 30 players across the course of uh, those five big all-inclusive storylines. So yeah. uh, there's there's lots to be lots to be giving an eye on. There will be lots. Absolutely. Right after the break, we're going to be doing the gibberish rankings. And of course, another week. Stick with us. <laughs> Welcome back to Ranks FC. It's time for everybody's favourite part of the week, Dean. What you got for us? It's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is the Singapore national team. So on Christmas Day, I wasn't watching this game, but it did take place. And um, Ellen, one of our listeners, has kindly uh, tipped us off on Twitter. I uh, love it when people do this because there's obviously a lot of stuff I do miss across world football on a weekly basis. Um, and certainly I missed the, the Singapore-Indonesia game. In the, in the Suzuki Cup. In the Suzuki Cup, yeah. Um, but Ellen was kind enough to, to drop us a, a message on, on Christmas Day, um, which you spotted, not me, but that's fine. Um, and she said, I'd like to nominate the Singapore national team for festive melon of the week for our hilarious second leg semi-final in this Suzuki Cup thing. We took the lead with nine men, then concede an offside goal, miss a potentially game-winning penalty, and then extra time with eight men. They lost the game 4-2, and they are not through to the next round. I mean, that is pretty melonish, um, especially... On Christmas Day, um, I guess it is a day of giving, and they've given away uh, a few <laughs> gifts there by the sound of things. Um, I just love that they were. To be honest, I can't believe they were playing. I know, like, not <laughs> the whole world doesn't have to stop because it's Christmas Day, um, but I had no idea there was, there was this game on. And so, international football going on at this level and absolute heartbreak for Singapore. Yeah, yeah. Singapore's, now, now Singapore's... Indonesia will face Thailand in the final. Whoa. Oh, wow. I won't my boys, that. I will my not boys. What Thai? Eh? Yeah, Thailand. Yeah, that's where, that's where I'm from. It's where it's where you're from. It's where uh, you're from. I, I mean, didn't... it's a two-legged final. You don't see those very often. The second leg is on New Year's Day, so the semi on Christmas Day, and the final on New Year's Day. Madness! <laughs> oh my days! It's a great idea for competition. They just play on every like and every holiday across the world <laughs> calendar. Whatever it is, every religion is covered. Indeed, indeed, sorted. <laughs> very, very much sorted. No, very brilliant. Good. Thanks for that, Ellen, because you really helped me out of a hole there because there really wasn't a lot to go at. No, there wasn't. And next week, Dean, uh, as we run into 2022, you can look back at the whole year and, and give out a melon of the year. Yeah, it'll melon. be. I think it'd be unfair to give it out with you know a couple of days remaining because someone might true, true. really steal the crown. Hit me uh, up, people. I will check my Twitter notifications and see who you all suggest it should be. Nominations for Melon of the Year Who was are last being year? firmly accepted. Hector Bellerin oh, Hector last, week last for, year for like a genuine eight foul throws, but he's now part of the Betis Revolution. So yeah. you know what he's I mean? redeemed he's, himself. He's redeemed. He's back. Yeah. Well done, Hector. We're uh, very, very proud of you and the Via Marine. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 
was going to keep going. Um, <laughs> I was just going to keep going. Um, that is the gibberish siren, uh, which means it's time for the gibberish ranking, Sam. Well, mate, that was a good one. Yeah, that was a good one. Oh, please. Oh, please. Uh, yeah, okay. Well, look, uh, Dean is looking back across 2021, and uh, I am looking forward into 2022, and I'm going to rank the three things that I'm most looking forward to in this coming year. Nice. Uh, number three serious for a moment is the growth of ranks fc we've completed our first year and now we're looking to step it up a little bit so for those of you that have listened all through the year we appreciate you uh, particularly appreciate all those that have subscribed to the patron over the course of the year as well but we have more stuff we're cooking more stuff up we'll have a website by the end of january hopefully all things being well uh, we'll have written content from us and also from contributors that we'll look to get on board working on a partnership with a company that will give us a, a toolbox of data viz to help supplement analysis and really kind of hoping this will be more of an all-encompassing destination for really good content not just really good podcasts we're going to be on youtube more uh we're going to do some more live stuff where we can and we've hired one of the rank squad lewis to improve our graphics and he's made some seriously cool stuff for us to roll out Twitter, you, might have, you might have seen some of it we've, yeah we've, uh, we've adapted been, a couple been, of the templates we've and stuff. trial running some of the yeah. things and our new backgrounds so but lewis, lewis has done an amazing show. job uh of of making us look a little bit better a bit more premium so we're excited to show all that to you as well we've just got lots of stuff lots of stuff on the hob you know cooking stuff up uh and hopefully it's going to be a year in which we continue to move forward bigger and better things and number two i'm looking forward to my wedding uh should be good <laughs> Uh, early January. <laughs> the enthusiasm, mate. Oh, yep, looking forward to that. Number that sounds two, all right. Yeah. It should be good. Anyway, number one. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. My name's Rachel. To be honest, it's been a bit terrifying for the last three weeks because over in, in England, we, you know, every two days there's a media report or there's speculation or there's a rumour that, you know, Boris Johnson is going to bring in fresh... Um, fresh restrictions here and there and you know trying to get excited and plan for a wedding when it could be taken away from you at, at, a, at a moment's notice is is actually not nice um, so I am I am really looking forward to it but I'm still sort of only like 20% there because I'm sort of 80% hoping that it still goes ahead um, and I think this, it's going to be fine I Sam. think it's fine I think now. it's going to be fine. fine now yesterday sliding through the 27th was the the big one yeah, um, yeah. I mean obviously it can change at a moment's notice but I feel like that was a big one yeah we hope we hope we hope all right well one thing we can guarantee is happening in 2022 that we can definitely look forward to is the arrival of true next gen games for the next gen consoles that we've all purchased or tried to purchase and I'm talking about the PS5 and the Xbox Series X there and Anything that we've played on these consoles so far hasn't been true next gen because all of the games that were built for the next gen were all delayed because of the pandemic. So in 2022, now everything is kind of catching up with itself. We're actually going to finally see the PS5 and the Xbox Series X at its full, like full display, or at least the, the the next generation of it. And I don't just mean graphics as well. Like if anyone's played the PS5. And has played that little teaser game you get with that little robot where you run around that Astro's magic Playroom. Yeah. I, I think I've spent more time on that than any actual game. I mean, that, that is so good. Life. It's so much fun. But it's not just about the graphics. It's like the, the, clearly the controller is going to be a massive part of this next generation of games and the, and the way the controller brings you into it. And we haven't really seen that from any of the games yet. But 
We're going to see the new the new Horizon game, Forbidden West. We're going to see a new Destiny game. We're going to see God of War Ragnarok. There's this game called Forspoken, which looks absolutely ridiculous graphically. Um, I can't wait for this, guys. I absolutely I, I'm can't actually, wait. The game I'm looking forward to most is Elden Ring. Ah, I saw a trailer for that, yeah. I thought you'd like that. Which has been written by George R.R. R. Martin. The lore and the, the oh, wow. story kind of concept. Um, the guy behind Game of That's Thrones. That's what he's been up to. Yeah, instead of actually finishing the books that I'm desperate for him to finish, yeah. um, he's been working on a game. Now, while I'm excited for the game, George, write a book. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so there, we've got that. And, and then there's the kind of spectre looming all of it, over all of it of, of Hogwarts Legacy. So, mm. I mean, whether, whether that comes out next year or not is, is still something to, well, that we, we do not know. We yes. do not know, but we shall see. We shall see. We shall see. But I'm very excited about that. I think on balance, I'm more excited about the wedding. Um, but I, <laughs> I, I, I had to put it at number two yeah. just because still not convinced. Fair enough. Going to get, gonna get, gonna get gonna the day happen. I want. Or I'm deeply worried that I'm not going to get the day I want. And, and we'll get, if I wake up in the morning and it's happening, I'll be happy. Okay, then it would then it would supersede to number one. It would, yeah. It would be it would be quickly promoted to number one. Fair enough. Okay, um, I, I was I was thinking about a, a, a gibberish the other day about the things that I enjoy most over Christmas, um, which, hmm. which was fun. Three was presents, two was family, and one was the darts. Um, <laughs> so um, <laughs> genuinely, Christmas is for darts. This is what I've decided about everything. Yes, the Boxing Day fixtures are great, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but really, what I'm waiting for is the 27th when the World Darts Championship returns to Alexander Palace, <laughs> and I can watch grown men throw little tiny javelins at a circular <laughs> board. Um, that that is what I'm. That's what I'm after. So yep. uh, there we have it. There we have it. Well done, Sam. Very excited for some of these things in, in 2022 as well. Um, mm. Actually, I'm very excited for all of those three. So that's a good ranking. Well done. Yeah, yeah, that's true, uh, actually, you've yeah. nailed it. I'm not looking forward to the game thing. I'll look forward to the World Cup instead. Um, the weddings, the wedding would be slightly further down my list, I'll be honest, but it's not my wedding. So therefore, it, it would probably... actually. Jack, probably... you'll probably have more fun at his wedding than he will. Like, I can imagine how this is going to go. <laughs> well, I'll be with you, my friend. So we're, uh, we're very much keeping an eye on things there. We'll update you as to how Sam's wedding goes in due course. And on that bombshell, I think we're going to call this one a day. Uh, all that's left for me to do is to say thank you very much to Dean Jones for a wonderful ranking. Cheers, mate. <laughs> Hesitancy there. <laughs> Absolutely. And thank you very much, Mr. Sam Ty. Yeah, cheers, buddy. I've been Jack Collins. This has been Ranks FC. Happy New Year, Rank Squad. We will see you in 2022, where, as Sam says, big things await. Take it easy.